This is the Saddler's Post, conversations on horses, leather trade, and the art of saddlery, with our host, Christian Love. Today on the Saddler's Post, my guest is Steve Sothman of the Leather and Hide Council of America. Steve, welcome to the Saddler's Post. Thank you for having me. So, one of the, you know, I think we have a, a shared... Um, uh, mission and, and that is to explore, encourage, and educate people on leather. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your background and the role that the Leather and Hide Council plays in uh, in the industry? Sure, I'd be happy to. So the Leather and Hide Council of America is a traditional trade association. So we represent uh, companies that produce or sell or otherwise are involved in the production or, or distribution of leather or leather products. Um, our organization, it, it, it has its history going back to the late 1900s or the, the early 1900s, 1917. Uh, but we are kind of new in name as of 2020. Uh, and, and what happened then is we, we merged uh, two organizations, one that was representing the, the hide industry and another one that was representing the leather tanners industry. Uh, we merged those in 2020 and, and came up with LHCA. Um, and so now we, we represent everybody in the leather supply chain. So our membership starts with meat packers. Um, it moves through to hide processors, uh, to leather tanners, of course. And then increasingly, we do have uh, leather brands, uh, leather users, leather uh, uh, other leather companies that are that are joining our ranks as well. And what we try to do is be the voice of the leather industry, the voice of leather as a material. So we we try to be the supporter of it, the defender of it, um, and and further the interests of leather and and those who make it um, in government policy, in media, in uh, all sorts of avenues where people might be discussing the material. So we really tried to be the leather champion uh, in North America. Fantastic. That's uh, amazing. So the first thing that jumps out at, to me is, you know, I'm at the very end. Like I'm, I'm not dealing even directly with tanneries. Most of the time I'm, I'm dealing with a, a distributor, you know, buying, you know, one hide at a time and a, you know, a very small consumer of it. But uh, if this is dating back all the way to 1917, let's say, just what was the role then and how has it evolved now? I just have this impression in my head that, you know, up until petroleum products, plastics, vinyl and all that, it was taking over that that leather would have been just the go-to product and, and would have been a, a would need it would have needed very little defense. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, trade associations uh, change along with the industry that they represent. Right. So, so, you know, back in 1917, the industry was probably facing very different challenges. So the trade association representing them then would have been built to, to, you know, facilitate those challenges to, to help overcome them. So whether, you know, traditionally that, that's, that is very government facing typically, 
you know, rules and regulations regarding how you can operate, when you can operate, you know, those, those types of things. And it, and it, and it can go across the gamut. I mean, it could be labor issues, it could be tax issues, uh, environmental issues, you know, those types of things. So, so the trade association has to evolve along with the industry um, in that regard. And, and as you've kind of mentioned, that's, that's the evolution to where we are today is, is now defending the material itself against um, not only its detractors, um, you know, in, in, in various areas, but then uh, competitors, competitor products who, uh, who have tried to take market share away from leather um, and, and the tactics they've used to do that. Um, and, and so we, we have had to evolve with those times. So, yeah, it's uh, certainly a different, different era now than it has been in the past, but we are trying to, uh, to evolve with it. Yeah, imagine the marketing game. You'd have to, to be really spot on because I hate to say f- fake news or <laughs> false information, but, you know, it, it'd be very easy to say you know that leather is inhumane that it's a poor choice that uh it's bad for the environment you know there's a million things you could say about it without ever saying the alternatives are far far worse for the environment i mean you would have to you had to be very clever boxing around companies that have you know say deep pockets and and be marketing uh, very aggressively towards getting people away from leather. Yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, we, we have to, it, the marketing game is very different than uh, like a, a government affairs type approach, for sure. Um, you're dealing with a different audience, you're dealing with different tactics. Um, and so we, we have had this shift quite a bit in, in how we engage. Um you know, I, I think in the marketing space, and, and when we talk about promoting leather, you know, vis-a-vis these types of competitors and what they can say about us, um, you know, there 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 are certain outlets that we have found. There are certain kind of arenas we have found where that our message can can get across, and then it can be distributed um, far more widely than um, than if we were just going to to buy media, for example, by ourselves. Um, you know, so for example, one of the areas we have found a lot of success is uh, fashion media. Uh, now, now, fashion media and, and the journalists who work in that space, you know, they they typically do not have agricultural roots. They typically don't understand agriculture and, and why we, we do what we do with the hides that we have and, and those types of things. Uh, so they are they are usually very uh, critical of the industry, you know, and, and of the material. But they tend to be fairly open-minded and if you can get in front of them and if you can explain what you know the 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 nuances of this industry and of this material and why we do what we do uh we we have found at least uh not all of them but but a majority of them to be open to that idea and then they go write articles about it and then that helps to kind of change that conversation a little bit um so that some of those competitor materials competitor products don't get to just dominate that conversation the, the way they have you know previous to us engaging. So, so I guess from a marketing perspective and, and, a, and a public affairs perspective, we just have to be smart. We have to be smart, we have to be efficient, and we have to know how to get our message out into the right audiences uh, because we, we don't have just the, yeah, the, the, the big budgets and, and the, the big sledgehammer that some of these other groups do. Yeah, and 
And how much of an impact would environmental issues, I, I mean, I would imagine in, you know, up, up to early 1900s, I just picture that there would have been tanneries, small tanneries dotted, like there would have been many, many, many. Do you have an idea of how many there there would have been to how many there is now? And it, it was it just purely demand or environmental issues that that you know molded that? I don't have numbers off the top of my head, but I would I would I'm, I think it'd be safe to say you're right that in the early 1900s you're probably looking at hundreds of companies, maybe even a, you know approaching a thousands if you're if you're looking across a you know a market like North America or even including Europe. Uh, they would be small, small companies, but I, I think the, the history of leather production, it follows very closely the, the kind of history of light manufacturing in general, uh, globally. Um, so of course you have, you know, uh, going back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, you have, a, a, you know, small companies that are probably supplying their local area. Uh, they don't really compete with each other, um, you know, but producing much of the same products. Um, obviously, over the course of the century, you would see consolidation, you know, markets, uh, uh, players coming together, becoming bigger, able to service larger markets. Um, and then, of course, uh, a lot of what changed in, in manufacturing in terms of overseas markets opening up and manufacturing bases in places like China, well, starting in Japan, moving through, you know, Korea, Taiwan, and then and then ultimately in China and kind of where we are today. Um, so it, it, I think. You know, obviously, environmental issues are, are important to the industry, and that, that plays a factor. But I would say it's it's just more general manufacturing trends is what ends up impacting the industry and, and how things how things change over time. Okay, yeah, I it just I guess because I'm I mean really out of touch. I guess I I'm I rely on leather for my trade. And, you know, I, I think that I'm aware of where it's coming from, but really I'm just searching for the, the best hide. But I'm, I think this is the best conversation. You're, the, you're the, best, the first person I've had on that can really maybe explain what it is being in the shoes of, of a cattle producer. I guess that's really where it starts is d- does the use of leather and, and the, the community at large desire to to buy products that are made of leather does that impact meat prices like that what cattle are selling for at auction no it, it will not impact live animal prices at all and we've done a little bit of economic research into that and it's and it's obviously a, a key component of the the why it's important to use utilize leather and continue to to utilize leather so Cattle are raised 100% for meat. Uh, when, a, when a cattle rancher goes to sell the animal to a meat packer, they are selling it on a weight basis. You know, the cow's weight weighs this amount or that amount, and it's X dollars per 100 kilos or 100 pounds. And, and so they sell on weight. Now, when the packer buys that animal, you know, obviously they are making a decision, you know, how much they could pay for the animal based on the various markets they're selling into, but the primary market they're selling into is the meat market. 
Um, but then they will receive all these other products, which is kind of bundled together to, uh, to, and they're called the drop credit. So it's basically everything that drops off the animal that's not uh, meat. Um, and the drop credit uh, will then be essentially what is waste material, but then the, the packer will has over time tried to find, you know, paths uh, and, and uses for those uh, materials. You don't, you don't want waste, right? You want to be utilizing that. So, uh, so for example, um, uh, bones end up uh, being ground down into gelatin and, you know, boiled down in gelatin, hooves and, and hair, things like that. Um, and then obviously the hide gets, gets sold into leather tanning. So, so will that impact the bottom line of the meat packer? Uh, yes, it will. I mean, if you, if today you are able to sell a hide and get X dollars for it and tomorrow you're not able to sell that hide because there's no demand for leather. Yeah. That's going to impact your, your bottom line, but are the meat packers going to change, uh, their production or, or even the, the farmers, are they going to change their production based on the price of that hide? No, they're not. And, and so, so really, it is a true byproduct, if and and even a waste product if it's not if it's not utilized. Okay, and then obviously the tanneries are really providing a vital service if they can turn a waste product into what will end up being, you know, clothing, shoes sporting equipment, saddlery, that type of thing. Um, but you, you know, you represent them as well. Are, are, are meat packers and tanners starting to work more closely together? Like, is there, you know, I, when I think of say a dairy farm that um, say is struggling with the bottom line. So what do they decide to do? They decide to start selling milk products from the farm. You know, like they, they get involved and say, Hey, you know what? This is, this is our yogurt. This is our cheese. This is our ice cream, um, from these cows that you can see in that field right there. Have, have cattle producers or tanners or, or meat packers gotten a little more involved with, you know, getting per in, in the production side of things? Yeah. You've, so some of those examples are essentially examples of uh, forward integration, you know, vertical integration of, you know, and trying to capture more value along the supply chain. And, and yes, the answer is yes. Um, that has happened to some extent. Um, you mainly see that with the meat packers. Um, they're, there are a number of uh, larger meat packers and, and a few smaller ones, but um, in the U.S. and Canada, who who did, did have ended up uh, building tanneries on site on on their on their packing plant sites. Um, but I think that the differentiation here is most of them will be producing uh, what's known in the in the industry as wet blue. Um, wet blue is kind of that it's it's a tanned hide. It's, it has gone through the the tanning stage. But it, it doesn't look like the leather that you would probably be using, you know, in in, in a saddle or or another craft area. Um, it is it's called wet blue because it, it it it's tanned using chromium salts, and so it, it does come out with a blue tinge to it. Um, and it it has its hair off. It's it's kind of a different, you know, texture. But there are still a number of steps 
you know, that, that it has to go through before it'll, it'll look like a finished, you know, piece of leather. And so what, what we have seen in, in the last couple of decades is a number of tanner uh, are of meat packers who have moved into that space and are selling wet blue had to try to capture that type of value. This is very common in other, other large beef producing countries as well. Brazil does this uh, quite a bit. A few other, uh, Australia does it a little bit. So, so you have seen that, but, but, Again, they kind of only bring it up to a certain point, and, and they're not really going all the way to the finished leather. And, and there's a number of reasons for that, but they kind of boil down to, you know, finished leather at the end of the day is kind of half science, half art. And your leather tanners are a little bit like alchemists, where, you know, they, they're using chemistry, but they're also using a little bit of artistry to make the, the, end, the end leather that they want to make. And so, you know, for a, for a big meatpacking company, that that's too in the weeds, you know, that's too nuanced and, and, and too niche. They're, they're looking a little bit more for, for kind of that commodity level of product um, that they could then uh, ship forward or sell, sell forward. Yeah. And I, I can totally appreciate that, that alchemy uh, side of things. And that's what a uh, craftsperson, a leather worker, a saddler, that's what we're buying, right? We're, we're buying that it's been, you know, you know, finished in a pit or it's been hand curried or, you know, you, there, we want that little backstory that an, an artisan of sorts has finished this leather to a high standard and now we're turning it into something else, right? So it's, it, I can see that story for sure. And at the wet blue stage, th that leather, could be sold to a tannery anywhere in the world, right? I mean, it can be shipped at that stage. That's correct. Yeah, it, it could be shipped as as wet blue. At that point, it, it is tanned. Um, it it ends up being a, a little bit easier to handle, just from a um, kind of an uh, uh, animal health perspective. You know, uh, raw hides are animal products, and and they have animal disease restrictions and requirements that have to try, you know, that, that, that they have to go through. So once you're at that wet blue stage and you've gone through the tanning process, it, it removes a lot of that um, because you obviously you would, you would have removed any of those types of uh, pathogens or viruses or anything. So, so yeah, that, that wet blue um, will be traded all over the world. Um, but so, so will salted hides. I mean, there's a lot of trade, there's quite a bit of trade in salted hides as well. And, and that, that continues. And there are tanners all over the world who will take, you know, take take the product from the salted state all the way through to their finish their finished uh, product as well. So it's it's just it, it's a very interesting, very nuanced industry that has a lot of different uh, players in it who are doing very very different things, and just it's kind of really interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah. So, I guess what's coming up in conversation in my circle lately is. Um, Veg tan seems to be making this major, major push for um, that it's that it's ultimately better for the environment. So, how much time are you guys consumed by chrome tan versus veg tan? Yeah, you know, we represent everybody. We represent tanners that do everything, and so you know, we try to look out. Uh, for everyone's interests in this perspective and, and try to lead uh, lead the dialogue and lead the industry as best we can. So so we have members that do both. 
Um, you know, the, the thing about chrome tanning is there, there is a right way, and, and really it's for any tanning. It includes veg tanning as well. But th- there is a right way to do that, to manufacture leather using chrome or, or other chemicals, and there's a wrong way to do it. And what we try to do and what our members in the LHCA are working towards is if you're going to use chrome, use it correctly. Use it safely. Manage your chemical process. Manage your effluent. Manage what's coming out of out of the tannery at the end of the day. Um, and then, you know, as long as you're following best practices, it's an extremely safe, viable uh, tanning process. Um, so that so it's it's okay to work with with chrome as long as you know what you're doing. Uh, but I mean, the same would be said for veg tanning. I mean, they're they're you know, you can imagine a lot of different ways a company could uh, could could still mess up, even if they're veg tanning. And so, and so, it, it, it's important that, regardless of what your, you know, w- w- which way a company is going in terms of how it's how it's tanning, it, it, it's important that they're always working towards that best practice, working towards some of the certifications that are in our our industry, working towards those requirements that will make them you know, a good, a good steward of their local community and the environment. Cause ultimately at the end of the day, one, one black mark on the leather industry is a black mark on all of us. And so we, you know, it, it really is a, a, a situation where rising tide raises all boats. So we, we, we work towards that as a, as a group. Yeah, that's, in, that's interesting. I'm glad to hear that about Chrome because the, if it, like in the saddle industry, you're using both types generally, um, and one is far superior than the other for the job that you have them earmarked for. Um, but that's a little bit of bias because one's just that much easier to work with, say, something, you know, in, in, and I'm talking about the, um, say seat leather in an English saddle it just works up so much more uh, nicely in chrome um, but you know flap leather that's veg tanned um, again is is amazing um, whereas say probably in western uh, manufacturing they're dealing exclusively with um, with veg tan uh, who is the largest player I mean is it is it automotive industry? Is it fashion? Who is who is, you know, relying on what you're doing, the closest? Yeah, you know, we we have kind of in the industry we have general numbers that go back 10, 20 years um, in terms of what where we think most leather is going. Um, now these are all kind of estimates just based on. Uh, almost anecdotal evidence because there is no, unfortunately no, you know, one set of data we could point to, 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 to verify this for sure. But uh, traditionally um, about 50% of the world's leather will end up in footwear. So, so footwear really does kind of drive the leather industry in a lot of ways. And I, I think that's, that's also what drove a lot of the manufacturing trends for leather was, uh, you know, wherever footwear was being produced in the world, that's typically where, where leather tanners were taking, you know, we're, we're building up a shop as well. Uh, so, so footwear will definitely be the driver. Um, I, we've seen about 15 or 20% of leather moving into automotive in the last, let's call it decade, decade and a half. Uh, that has, was a, a very 
quickly growing area um, that has kind of leveled off a little bit, but is still kind of a, a major player uh, for our for our industry and where, where a lot of our leathers will end up. Uh, another 10% or so will end up in, uh, in the upholstery, the, the home furnishings industry um, for your you know your sofas and your chairs and things like that. And then the remainder, you know, 10 or 15%, if my, if my math's right, will be kind of all, all other goods, you know, so that's your, your kind of your smaller fashion uses, your bags, your belts, uh, those types of things. Uh, saddlery, as you mentioned, um, other items uh, that where leather end up. But at the end of the day, um, what drives the, the leather markets, let's say, is how much leather is being utilized in the footwear industry and, and the automotive industry. Yeah, I I don't want to mention any brands, but one major automotive brand that I announced maybe six months ago that not only are they moving all electric, but they're not going to offer leather interior any longer. And I thought that that's where it, it, because I'm a, a fan of leather, obviously, I kind of felt like, oh, that was an ill thought out marketing move, not a, you know, what's best, um, for, you know, leather. The purpose of it is that it's more durable. Yes. It's sold as a luxury interior, but it's what, it, whatever you're replacing with it, I, I doubt would be as environmentally friendly when you factor in the longevity of it. Um, and it must play a factor in, um, you know, every time a huge player in the industry makes a decision and then you, I would imagine there's some work to do on, you know, kind of mitigating like, okay, are, are we going to have a few people following suit just because a, a big player is doing this or, you know, do we go to work on trying to maybe get them rethinking their decision? You know, is, is that's, I don't know if that's within the realm of what you're what you're doing. I would imagine there's some lobbying that goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 track that pretty closely. We try to be uh, in that conversation as much as we can. I've I've written, you know, for example, written op-eds that have gone in kind of the automotive industries, uh, you know, trade outlets, trade media outlets, that type of thing, defending the use of leather. Um, in, in various automobiles offerings. And, you know, what's interesting about that area is obviously we see those, those announcements from various automakers. Um, a lot of them walk them back. Um, a, a lot of them end up, you know, they get a little bit of, uh, you know, a media bump and, and some slaps on the back from various kind of interest groups. Uh, and then in, it, usually about a year or two later, you end up seeing leather being offered in most of those, uh, auto uh, companies uh, products again, and I think it's I think it's because of exactly what you've identified. It's uh, the the material is from a performance perspective really can't be matched. Um, a lot of consumers demand it, especially kind of at the higher end and the more luxury end. Um, and and I think these companies do realize after a while that um, okay maybe we 
scored a, a few, you know, cheap shots, but at the end of the day, we, we really need, we need to utilize this material because it's, it's going to deliver what we really need in, in terms of our performance. So, so we do see that a lot. I think it's encouraging. It, it's frustrating, of course, and it's a very frustrating thing to see, but it's encouraging to know that they typically go back. Um, one major brand, I won't name anybody either, you know, any, any specific brands, but one major brand who focuses on electric vehicles is, is starting to tackle uh, a problem they have with their plastic synthetic um, upholstery, and that's uh, the the sweat and the you know uh, oils from people from drivers' heads is making the the seats bubble up, you know, in the in the padding behind the on the back of the head. It's it's bubbling up. It's ruining you know the the material is being ruined. And after only two or three years of owning those cars, and they're expensive cars, you know, and so yeah. so consumers who may not know anything about leather are, are all of a sudden how how come I spent thirty thousand, you know, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars on this, you know, new next generation car, and and it looks looks not great after two or three years. And so I think what we'll see is perhaps even that company will, will come back to leather and 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 hopefully start integrating it again. Unfortunately, they don't make a big announcement about that. So, exactly. So, so we, yeah. don't, we don't get to see that side of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, again, that's where an association's job is to quietly remind people like, hey, there's you know you have history on your side that that it as a material performs so well um that you know and taken care of properly nothing outperforms it or very little comes close to it and um you know it's not a you know at the same time as arguing about uh leather producing the petroleum industry is under the same spotlight so it's kind of like hey clearly one's a better choice than the other but I, that's my completely biased opinion for sure um how well, much- it, it, no and it makes sense but in, in the auto industry and you know just to kind of keep going on this path a little bit with auto one, one of the major issues there is is frankly uh deception and how the material is labeled um, and, and this is a problem in, in all industries, but I think auto has a very specific problem with it because, uh, you know, a lot of the auto companies who take leather out of their uh, uh, offerings are still using leather techn- or leather definitions, terminologies, those types of things to kind of hint to consumers that you're buying leather, but even though they're not. And so, you know, the, the kind of poster child of this would be the term, quote unquote, leatherette. Um, if you if you look at a, a at a car and it says it's it's got leatherette in it, you know, uh, your lay consumer will will think that's some form of leather when it's not. It's all synthetic. It's just a it's like saying polyester versus cotton. Um, and it's most frustrating when you go to you know use an online search engine or something like that when you're looking for cars. And you say you want you want a leather interior and this and that, and it will qualify your your search terms and, and include leatherette and some of these other other very confusing terms. So that's that's I think one of the more frustrating aspects of the auto industry uh, issue here is it, it's almost it's almost open deception at that point. Yeah, that was going to be my very next question to you is, you know, the 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 definition of leather. Um, is is so loose that I don't blame a consumer for being confused at this point that they feel they've bought something that's been made of leather when it it clearly isn't and it's that not no fault of their own unless they're 
you know, very, um, did a deep dive into, um, what they're buying and who they're buying it from and what do these, you know, terms mean, you know, is it a marketing term or is it a definition of, you know, textbook, is this made of X material and leather, um, can be, you know, it, it's very loose, but it goes back to the beginning of, um, you know, patent leather, for instance, you know, is a kind of one of those products where I never really thought about it that hard. But then when I started working with it occasionally, it's like, this is more plastic than it is leather, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, the patent leather like you, you could replace it with with other materials and no offense to patent leather producers but you know it is a highly highly processed material um and it's it's still sold as leather and i think the some manufacturers <laughs> have taken it a step further not of producers of leather but of you're right the automotive industry where they have full-time um very clever marketing people figure out how to term things that um you know would only lead to one conclusion oh it's a leather interior right yeah that's exactly it, it, it it's it, it's it's a major issue in every in every industry we sell into um and and it is it's, it's a problem of uh labeling it's a problem of of regulation of labeling there, there are certain countries you know um Portugal, Brazil, I think France did it, a few, one or two others, they, where you can't, you can't actually call a material leather unless it is, you know, very specifically defined. It, it comes from the higher skin of an animal. It's been tanned. It's, it only has a certain, a certain amount of, of finish on it, you know, kind of to use your, your patent leather example. Um, and I think those types of uh, regulatory changes need to, be taking place in other markets for sure. Uh, purely from a consumer education standpoint, consumers need to understand this. And, and look, and I, I know there are plenty of consumers out there who don't want leather, and I don't want them to have to buy it if they don't want it, right? And and but I want them to know the difference between a you know a real leather versus something that's 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 made of a synthetic material. So yeah, it's it's a problem. Yeah, I 100. I think that is the biggest challenge in the industry so that people can make educated decisions because there is no hard set this is the definition and you know when we uh you know want to eat a hamburger that is completely protein based but it's still called meat <laughs> you know it's it's like we're just sitting ducks we're, we'll just you know call it what it actually is um and and sort it out from there but it's 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 happening with the leather as well is that you know we want to call it leather or imply that it's leather but it's not and it's um a bit frustrating it's something that in the saddle industry uh thankfully there are synthetic saddles and they serve a purpose and no one's it was never marketed as an alternative it was always marketed as um an economy uh based saddle that it you know it was like hey we were able to produce um 
something much cheaper so that people can enjoy the sport. It wasn't a um, ever build as something superior or as good as, or they didn't even use fake terms or leather like terms with it. So I, I feel the saddle industry has done a fantastic job and the consumer never wants, they want the best leather. They want to hear all about, you know, the quality of the leather. They know what they're buying and they know that it's well-established. Leather is the best product, uh, the raw material to make saddlery or harness from. So I kind of feel for for other industries, you know, you can just go to a furniture store and you're looking at leather couches and you have a hard time believing that, you know, two pieces of furniture side by side and they're both called leather and one clearly doesn't feel like leather or hardly looks like leather and the other one um, is what we recognize as leather. Um, it must be a, a, a heck of a challenge. It is. It's yeah. a big challenge, um, you know, and, and I think it's one that the industry is slowly making some strides uh, towards. And, and really, the, you know, recently we've had a, a fairly good um, showing in terms of at least engaging the brands who make these these kinds of um, decisions and some of the kind of representative bodies that, represent, that, that cover those brands. You know, we, we've explained to them that, look, this, this is open deception when you're calling something you know, uh, eco leather, for example, or, or cruelty free leather or something. And you're not saying it, it is what it is. You know, it's not, you're not telling the consumer it's, it's polyurethane or it's PVC or, or something along those lines. And, and so some of those groups and, and brands who are really thinking about this and, and not trying to be openly deceptive have said, okay, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And, and I, I, you know, I don't want to deceive my consumers either. And so, so I think, you know, half of it is an educational component. But then, of course, you know, there are actors out there who, who are ready to deceive and are ready to do that. And so from that perspective, we do we do have to push down the regulatory road a little bit further than we've been able to uh, to try to to try to get a little bit of um, get more support on that side. Yeah, um, because, that, again, it's it's yeah, it's deceptive. Yeah. And that's that's where legislation should because you're you're protecting consumers at that point. It's not just a um, label we're fussing over. It's um, people deserve to know exactly what's uh, what they're what they're spending their money on. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially if they're if they're making these types of choices in their dietary uh, considerations as well. You know, I mean, if, if somebody's living a life that's you know they they are happy to eat meat and they're happy to eat dairy products and and they want a leather good, they should. They should know that if they have chosen a different lifestyle and they don't consume leather, or, you know, or, or animal products, they shouldn't have to just, you know, worry about whether or not the, the the item they're buying is real leather or not. You know, they should know that right away. So this is this is definitely um, it, it, this is definitely for protecting consumers and consumer interests. Yeah, and I know I'm jumping around all over the place, but it's <laughs> we can cover so much with you. Um, how many tanneries are left? in um in the states yeah it's that's a hard question to answer because it, it depends on what, how you define tannery um you know like i said uh or like we were talking about earlier um you know we have meat packers who have wet blue facilities on site so they are technically a tanner uh they are they are tanners um and then you have other facilities you know some that are 
over 100 years old who you know who will take raw you know, the the raw hide and turn it all the way to a finish a finish leather tint uh, product. So in all, we're we're looking at um, about 20, 25, I would say, of uh, companies who are somehow involved in this uh, in the tanning process. Uh, obviously, it's a far cry from the hundreds that we had, you know, 100 years ago. Um, but the companies that are that are operating are some of them are very large. Some of them are smaller, uh, but have been around for a really long time and have perfected their art and perfected, you know, the the products they offer and who they sell to. And, and, and so they're they've got a lot of staying power. Yeah, that's I, when I think of the that small number, considering how large I think the industry is. But I'm wondering, do you have um, a handle on how much leather is being imported from European tanneries? Like, um, we 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 look at. I mean, we we definitely produce more in the U.S. than we import, but it also depends on on what which stage of the leather process you're talking about. So so you know, and that and that gets confusing very quickly. So the U.S. is one of the largest hide producers in the world, for example. So so the U.S. the, the U.S. beef industry produces some of the the best hides in the world, and so we are one of the largest suppliers of hides to the world. Um, we export most of what we produce. So there's a lot of our products in the U S that end up all over the world. Um, now some of those will be tanned in other places and then come back, you know, either as a finished good or, or maybe even in the leather uh, as leather itself. So, so it's hard to say, you know, well, there's X amount of product is imported and there's X amount produced domestically because it really does depend on where on the supply chain you're talking about. So, so we, we try to take a little bit of a broader view of that is, you know, especially representing kind of everybody in the leather supply chain. And just, you know, we try to say, well, you know what, the U.S. is a large, large producer, one of the largest in the world. Um, and we try to be a leader um, in, in terms of everything that that will impact the industry globally, um, you know, on sustainability issues, those types of things. So uh, so we have friendly competition, I would say, with groups like, you know, or, or co- countries like Italy. Uh, China, you know, Brazil, some of the other really large leather tanning uh, markets. But uh, again, we, we we try to be partners with them just as much as competitors. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you because those wet blue, um, you could be a supplier and a competitor at, at the same time, right? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. And that and that and that and that happens. And so that's you know. Uh, a wet blue supplier from the U.S. could be competing, you know, with, with the guy down the street or or somebody in Italy, and then sell to them the next day too. So it it it, it very much works that way within this industry. Yeah, and I I think the industries that are so old, I think have a it's a bit of a dance. It's nothing new to them. They don't they're not shocked when the tables turn or flip or you know it's just that's how the industry has evolved over over time right that's exactly it that's exactly it um i mean you know i i've been with the association and working on behalf of this industry for 12 years and i'm i'm still new to this industry you know and, i mean you have people here who've been working for decades and they you know they're the fourth fifth generation of the company you know of a family owned company 
And, and so they have, they have been doing this dance, as you said, for, for many, many, many years and have gone round and round and round with each other. And, and so, yeah. Um, I, and I think that almost adds to kind of the, um, how the industry sees itself in terms of less about the individual and more about the industry as a whole, just because of that, that history and, and all the external factors that, that now are at play. Yeah, it's it's the rising tide, right? You you can't afford to 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 damage your image at all. But you you know you really have to you know if 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 anybody in the industry gets a a sniffle, somebody else is going to catch that cold, right? Hundred percent right. Hundred percent yeah. right. Yep. 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 Any any and and unfortunately, you know, there are parts of the world where they're they are tanning in ways that we would not want to see. Obviously, um, they're they're not handling their chemicals correctly, or or they might not, you know, be be managing the effluent correctly, or something like that. And unfortunately, whatever happens there is going to impact us in the U.S. and in, in our industry and and the perception. And so it's it's definitely an area where you know we we do what we can. Obviously, you can't solve the world's problems, uh, but we we do what we can to try to try to provide support or do or 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 technical training or what what have you because that ultimately is going to impact our our bottom lines as well yeah and where is technology playing the biggest role i would under you know i understand treating effluent and you know maybe uh, chemicals being handled but the actual process has it changed like are we able to produce hides quicker or um you know what it has has technology played a major role other outside of the environmental yeah you know like any other kind of manufacturing process somebody's always looking at every step and trying to figure out you know, how we can make it more efficient, more, you know, use less resources, that type of thing, make it a better product. Um, and that's, that's definitely happening in this industry as well. Um, you know, a couple examples, I, uh, water usage, uh, water usage in the industry is, is a, a big uh, concern for people, especially if, in the, if they're tanning in areas where water might be, a, a, you know, a problem, water management might be a problem. And so a lot of work goes into, okay, well, how do we tan these hides using the least amount of water possible? And so there's all kinds of different uh, new technologies that have come out, um, you know, in the last couple of years, even that, that are looking at that type of, uh, that type of question. Um, cutting, cutting technologies for, for, uh, you know, you, leather is not a, a square product at the end, you know, when it's finished tanned, it, it has, it's a natural product. You can have variation. So when you go to cut that leather, uh, that piece of leather into what you need to use for your, for your end product, uh, it, it, there's scraps that end up at, at the end of that, of course. And so there's a lot of research going into cutting technologies and how to, how to reduce the amount of scraps that, that come off of that, uh, off that process. So yeah, every step of the way, uh, I, I think the big one right now would be uh, in the chemical side. Uh, there's a lot of efforts to move away from fossil fuel-based chemicals and, you know, and, and carbon-based chemicals and, and move into more natural 
natural chemicals, not, you know, and, and we're getting way outside of my expertise here. I'm not the chemist, but, uh, you know, I do know that that, that's quite a, uh, there's, that's been a big push, I think in the, in the broader chemical industry in general, but definitely is making its way into leather as well. Great. And, as far as the industry goes, I, I'm, you know, kind of the default is we talk about cattle, um, but you would represent uh, all leather producers or, you know, we're talking, um, you know, other animals or is that outside of North America or Canada or sorry, U.S.? Yeah, we, we represent everybody. Uh, I, I think the where we kind of, draw our line as an association is we don't really do much with fur. So it's, it's, we mainly deal with, with producers who are handling, uh, farmed animals, you know, animals that, that are the hides and skins that are resulting from the food supply chain. And so that, that's where we, uh, um, focus. We do have one or two members who, uh, work with quote unquote exotic skins, but in this case, they would be American alligator skins. And, um, that's kind of an interesting area because they're, they're kind of, part of a broader animal conservation, alligator conservation uh, program. So the skins are actually kind of a, almost a byproduct of the conservation program. And so, so they're a little bit of a unique area uh, where, where the animals aren't necessarily raised for food, of course. Uh, but the vast majority, 99% of, of the companies we represent would be yeah, cattle, sheep, pigskin, uh, just your run-of-the-mill kind of farm, farm animal uh, producers. Got it. Yeah. So what is, uh, oh, the one program I wanted to talk about, and it sounds like a great initiative that, again, you're working with fashion, um, that uh, you're, you're looking to designers or, you know, youth to, to produce, um, the, the name of the program is escaping me, um, but there, there's some competition to create, um, you know, fashion out of leather is that something that you're involved in yeah this is one of our main initiatives we launched uh we launched it in 2020 um so the 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 entire initiative is called the real leather stay different campaign so real leather stay different and and, you know we're on all the social media channels and all that but the main kind of hub is choosereelleather.com um and we have a number of kind of initiatives under that umbrella but the, the idea behind uh, this, the, the, the push, the campaign is we wanted, we want to have an avenue to get the, the information about the leather industry and, and why we produce leather out to, you know, our target audiences. And so, you know, we have uh, a number of, uh, of things we do there, but one of the main ones and when you're referencing is we do host student design competitions for fashion and design students um, in various countries. So we go to design schools, uh, we do, we partner with them. We, uh, we, we teach them about leather, um, and how you, you can use leather in your, in your designs. Um, as part of that, you know, program, we also talk about leather itself and, and why it's important to use it. We talk about natural materials in general and, you know, and kind of help the students understand that, you know, the difference between a natural material versus a synthetic material and why, why you might want to choose one over the other. Um, and then obviously we have fun with it too. So they, they design, you know, great, great things whether it's whether it's fashion or footwear uh we have kind of a 
all other leather goods uh, category that has uh, produced some just really wonderful uh, creations. Um, and then we and then we reward re reward the students with uh, you know kind of some fun prizes. So the last year the the winner of the overall kind of international competition and we do this kind of regionally in various countries and then they all kind of feed into this international kind of winner takes all competition um, the winner of the international competition actually had the leather jacket that she designed the student design uh, featured in a fashion magazine in it's uh, called roller coaster magazine which is a uk based magazine uh, it was featured by a model in a spread, you know, in a centerfold spread in the fashion magazine where this kind of famous model that was being featured in the magazine anyway wore this the student's uh, jacket as part of that that fashion shoot. So, you know, for a, for a student, for, you know, somebody who's coming up and wants to break into the into the fashion world and the design world, I mean, this is a great opportunity. That's a that's a huge feather in your cap that you can kind of take with you in, in your portfolio to your job interviews in the future. And for us, you know, obviously it, it allows us the opportunity to explain leather, to promote leather, talk about leather and, 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 and expose these students who will end up making these decisions in these jobs about, you know, do I want material A or material B? We, we want to make sure they're, they understand leather when, when, they have, when they go to make those decisions in the future. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that initiative um, just hits multiple levels. I mean, obviously dealing with, um, the future so young getting young people involved but it just the end result as you say ends up on on such a massive world stage that's really cool so what yeah we it, it's been wonderful it's been a wonderful competition it's been a wonderful you know program what, what the what's been fun for us frankly you know we've been doing it for a couple of years now and it's all been great but we're, we're seeing groups coming to us and saying hey we want to run one of these these uh, competitions in our country and, you know, countries that we hadn't had a presence in. And so it's almost a franchise model uh, that's taking off. And that has been a fun, fun surprise for us. It kind of has uh, proven to us that, the, hey, this, this is a really good idea and this is working. So that's that's been a great development. Yeah, that it doesn't surprise me at all that people want to jump on board because it it just, um, as you say, for an up and coming uh, designer, or, or future designer. I mean, imagine, um, you know, the, it, it's on the saddlery side, um, and, and, in, in Britain, it's very, very popular is, is, uh, you know, entering competitions and, you know, the remit is to create a piece and have it judged. And, um, you know, the, yeah, it's great to win something, but it, it's the, kind of the knock-on effect of it gets covered in press and you're reaching a wider audience than you ever could just through traditional marketing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So what's the biggest um, thing on the horizon? What is, what is, what's, you know, not what keeps you up at night, but what, what is the, the, the nut that you feel you have to, to crack in the next say five years? Yeah, we obviously we have a lot of ongoing issues uh, that that we're facing. You know, a lot of good opportunities. I think probably the biggest one over the next five or, or ten years or so is going to be uh, the sustainability of leather and the the metrics and the data that goes behind making the case for leather. Um, 
you know, a, a lot of our synthetic kind of competitors, you know, they've tried to make the case that they're more sustainable than leather by trotting out a whole bunch of data that says, hey, you know, on a, on a square meter basis, we're, you know, we emit this amount of greenhouse gas emissions versus leather, which emits this amount, you know, and they've been, they've had, a, the synthetic groups have had a lot of success doing that, frankly. So we've been caught a little bit as an industry on the back foot. And so now we, we have, have to uh, really move forward in that space. We have to collect the data. We have to become experts in these, in these life cycle assessment modeling exercises to understand, you know, how, how leather does actually stack up. And we're pretty confident. And, and from what we've seen, we're pretty confident leather is uh, extremely sustainable from this perspective, but you do have to do the work to, uh, to have that conversation. And so that's what we've been working on. That's the one that keeps me up at night just because it's, it is a huge undertaking and one that's going to define uh, how this industry talks about itself and, and how other industries talk about us, you know, going forward. Yeah. It's um, one of those arguments that uh, you have to be very clever, I guess, because except, you know, when you, when you say, the difference, though, is that the model for comparing you you can't compare apples and apples because the leather is a is a is a waste product of another industry. So you're kind of the original upcycle, recycle, um, whatever green initiative. That we you know if you were doing that today, you would roll it out as a green initiative, right? To 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 divert all of this waste product going to a landfill you know whereas a synthetic material it doesn't even exist you know you have sales reps on the road traveling the planet flying around trying to convince people use this material we'll make it you know it's 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 being produced as you order it versus leather which is you know um you know, it's an, an available resource where it's here anyway, unless the whole planet collectively stopped eating meat, farmers stopped producing it, um, then, then of course, you know, if you were just raising animals for their hide, it would be a, a, a really easy argument. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's exactly, it's exactly right. And, and it's, it's, it gets back to this discussion of, you know, we, a lot of these competitor materials love to, to say they're, they're out to replace leather, quote unquote, replace leather. And when you step back and think about it, there, there is no such thing as replacing leather because all, all you're going to be doing if, if you're successful, if you're one of these other, other materials, all you're going to be doing is sending, sending hides to a landfill, you know, I mean, all, all you're going to be doing is, is replacing what, what was a recycled product in it with a virgin, you know, newly produced project or product that's typically, you know, from, from a, a petrochemical or oil-based material. And so exactly the, these are, this is the nuance that, that kind of has to take place in this conversation, but you know, they're, the competitors are very happy to, to trot out and say, well, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll say absolutely insane things. I've seen some insane ones. I, I saw one, I, I won't name any names, of course, but I, I saw one they were advertising for a while. You know, the, it was a synthetic material that had a little bit of, a little bit of plant 
material, you know, 10% or so uh, baked into material. They were advertising and saying, if you buy our material, you'll save a billion animals lives a year. <laughs> and, and it's just completely and utterly false. There's yeah. not a, there's not a farmer or rancher in this world who is raising an animal for its, you know, a cow for its hide, for example. But, yeah. you know, that's what they market themselves on. So, so, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, you gotta have, you gotta have a lot of the, the, the evidence and the data and everything to back up that, that argument that, look, you're not replacing leather. You're just, you're, you're, you're sending, you're sending perfectly good raw material into, into a landfill. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, that it should be, uh being embraced not um you know the use of leather it's um but again totally biased <laughs> but it is uh it's hard to argue uh against someone who's not presenting all the facts right exactly exactly that's exactly right awesome um uh, i really want to thank you for coming on today i think um it's been a fantastic um conversation very enlightening i hope uh people listening to this um check out your website um just at the end here why don't you um just cover what your socials are and and where people can find you on the internet yeah happy to do it so our, our association is is our website is usleather.org uh that's kind of where you get a little bit more of the association's information and and you know uh, information about the industry itself and then the far more fun one and the, and the one the listeners will probably want to check out is uh, choosereallather.com. Um, and then from there, we have, I think, 10 different social channels that are all linked through our website. So uh, definitely check out the Choose Real Leather campaign. Um, and please follow us. Follow us, like us, share our material, share our content, and let us know how we could be, uh, how we could be even more informative because we're always looking for new ideas and new content. So happy to... Uh, happy to have a two-way street there oh that's awesome yeah again thank you so much for coming on steve really appreciate your time today my pleasure thank you for having me hi this is steve stothman the president of the leather and hide council of america thank you for joining me today on the saddler's post with christian lowell This has been the Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit christianlowe.ca.